Today on the podcast, we have my very good friend, uh, Mr. G, who uh, lives in North Africa. And we're being cryptic uh, just because of security concerns for what uh, he is doing in this part of the world. Uh, We don't want to publish too many details on the internet. And so um, most of you listening to this podcast will know who we're talking about and what's going on there. Um, But for those that are new... Um, Mr. G, orient us to uh, who you are and uh, what you're doing and tell us about yourself. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast, man. Yeah, it's a um, joy. Excited to talk to you. <clears throat> yeah, so uh live in North Africa. been living here for, um, looks like about eight years, I think. About eight years, been living here. Uh, we were in France for a while, learned the language there. And yeah, I, I'm married to Mrs. G Been married for since 2003. So that's, we're coming up on 19 years. Um, wow. We got three, three kids and uh, they're great. They are ages. We got a daughter who is 13 and two sons that are 11 and nine. Yeah, so we've been living here for the last eight years, and um, it's a, a pretty uh, blue-collar town. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting in a uh, in my office in the uh, industrial section of the city. So there's a lot of uh, cars going back and forth out there. So you might hear that. Um, we've got uh, three. Uh, believers here that uh, are meeting together as a church and we've been uh, helping them with that over the last few years and there's a number of us foreigners who meet together for church too so yeah there's uh, a quick orientation yeah i love it man i love it um well i'd love to dive into some more of the things that you've already mentioned but man give us a um I just think it's so interesting to hear people's stories and how they ended up where they end up and uh, your journey. Yeah. Tell us about your journey to, you know, to, to, to be living in this part of the world where you're an extreme minority, um, religiously and, uh, just with your ethnicity. And, um, so tell us about your journey to that, that, that caused you to be where you are today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I grew up in a Christian household and uh, went to church often. Became a believer in um, middle school, high school, somewhere in there, and really wanted to know the Lord in my high school years. And uh, went to college. And um, at that, in college, I I was just trying to find the most extreme ministry I could that was going to give me everything I could get. And uh, the first week I was there, I met this guy uh, from the Baptist Student Union, and he said, here, here's uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. Why don't you start reading this? So read that. That was in 2000. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is like mind blowing. That uh, What? God's all about his own glory? What? Yeah. He's not all about me. And over the next four years, I think there was just this reorientation of, um, I am to be living for God's glory 
and there are places in the world that um, he is not being glorified. Yep. And so from there, um, we, we went overseas, or yeah, met my wife uh, in college, and she was going through some of the same stuff. Uh, we took this class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement in college, and it was, it was really helpful to see, to kind of be introduced to all the different ideas of how world evangelization is to be happening. And there's a lot of perspectives. It was right, uh, an aptly named class. But it was really good and, and helpful for us. Anyways, we decided that we were going to try a, to do it for two to three years and see if we liked it, if, we're, if we were good at it, if, if we were affirmed by other people. So we moved to North Africa in, right out of college, my wife and I. And um, we were here for three years and loved it. We did pretty well at language and the people around us affirmed us. But we were like we really felt like we had a lot of growing up to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so we had the opportunity to come right back because I, we, we, we'd only signed up for a total of three years and we had to have seminary and we didn't have any. And they said we could come right back and do seminary while we were overseas, but we were familiar with some friends who um, had a really close connection to a good local church. And we were being more and more convinced that we needed more formation uh, in a local church. So we moved back to the States, got involved in a, an absolutely amazing local church, and they, uh, they just discipled us and helped us in our marriage. And they also were wanting to do work overseas in North Africa. So um, they took us under their wing and um, uh, tried to form us just as Christians and as uh, people who love the church. And over a five-year period, I worked uh, in accounting uh, in the just business world while I was being discipled and trained to be an elder at this church. And we were uh, raising and adopting kids uh, during that time. And then they uh, installed me as an elder uh, at that church and uh, sent us out to come and be church planners. At the same time, they were doing that with another family in our church. And um, they also sent them out a year later um, to come and join us. Wow, that's, that's quite the journey. Yeah. That's 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 yeah. awesome, man. And I mean, when I hear that, I hear, um, well, a lot of things. One, I hear patience, mm. you know, um, and I'm so thankful that it seemed like you guys endured, like perseverance and patience. Uh, you know, kind of in some ways the, um, they go together, right? Mm. Um, one yeah. one implies the other, but. I'd love to hear more about like what, what were some of the things that you identified that you needed to grow in before you're just like, all right, we're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. what, what unpack that for us and why was that important? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you two things. Um, one, um, as we're there, so I was uh, our first three year stint here. I was, my job title was church planter and, um, I didn't, I mean, I grew up. And how, how, old were you, how old were you at this time? 21. You were 21. Yeah. 21 or 22, I was 22. And, and this is your first three-year commitment? First three-year commitment, yeah. Yep. 22, my wife and I were both the same age, 22. 
and church planter and uh, a good friend of mine who was learning about the church and learning about qualifications of pastors, what, you know, Titus and Timothy, what the Bible says about qualifications of pastors. We had grown up going to similar churches, my buddy and I, and um, had never, this had never even crossed our radar that there, there were like character qualifications. <laughs> Uh, like, of course, we knew that, it, that uh, a pastor has to be a good guy, but right. I mean, just the uh, my lack of biblical knowledge, I mean, too, was a big deal at that point. But anyways, he says to me, Cody, uh, I know the sin in your life. You know the sin in my life. I knew the sin in my own life. He's like, I, I know you. He's like, if you're not qualified to be a pastor of a church, how are you qualified to plant churches? Oh, dude, I was so mad at him. I was like, I'm living over in North Africa and you're sitting in your cush office and, right. you know, wherever right. you are. And you're telling me that I'm not qualified to be a church planner. Who do you think you are? Right. But because of our relationship, you know, I was able to kind of poke and prod like that. But it made me think, yeah. like, gosh, there's something to that. And I just, I had, and that, so that was the first thing. And the second thing is, our, our marriage wasn't great. Uh, you know, we just had, we had problems like most people do at the beginning of their marriage, but we had just gotten married and we moved overseas. And, you know, you got problems in the States. Those problems are just going to explode when you go to another place and you don't have the support structure that you usually have. Da, da, da. So I think both of those things, just knowing that I had a lot to grow into understanding what the church is, what um, what my personal responsibilities were in planting a church, and uh, us both just recognizing that we have a lot of work to do in Christian sanctification. Not at all that after five years in the States, we were like, oh, finally we've arrived. Sure. But uh, we were really immature, yeah. really immature. And yeah. I don't know that we had no business being there, but we didn't. Uh, being here the first time, but we certainly didn't have a support structure or a church that we were going to during that first three years here in North Africa that would have been able to build us up and help us through those things. Right, right. That's really insightful. It's really insightful. Tell us more about the culture where you live, Mr. G. Mm -hmm. um, what is it like? Paint a picture for us of um, like... Um, how it's different from where uh, you used to live, um, where we live here in Madison. Um, paint that picture for us. Um, yeah, this this culture is very, very different than the one I grew up in, the one that, that I know from America. Um, in some ways, it's kind of, I imagine what it's, what it was like in the early 20th century in America, meaning there was a predominant religion that, um, that all of society or in general society was trying to get you to conform to the norms of that religion. So you, know, you think back early the 20th, 20th century in America, there's still laws against homosexuality or homosexual practice. There's, um, there's divorce is not allowed uh, yeah. except for, you know, certain cases. And, and 
when I grew up in the 80s and 90s that it all changed and it was much more and it's becoming so much more in America about no the role of society is not to form me into a productive member of society but the role of society is for to acknowledge who I am because I I want to say this is who I am and acknowledge me well that is not what present day America is not present day North Africa present day North Africa is all of life is to be submitted to Islam, right? You, guys, you know, your, your listeners would know that Islam is submission. It's about submission. And the, all of the countries in North Africa, their cultures are about conforming to um, an Islamic way of life. There are some countries in North Africa that are that are more liberal and than others, but in general, it is how do we conform our lives to Islam? And so, you know, there everybody is to be within earshot of a mosque. Everybody in the whole country. So the so the government pays for um, mosques to be to be built and to be staffed by people within earshot of everybody in the culture, every everybody in the country. Um, Five times a day, there's a call to prayer, yelling out, there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. I mean, you can, can it's, it's hard to, to get that across to people how, how life-changing that is. If you hear five times a day, there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. You hear that over and over and over every day of your life. Meaning, it, let, let's paint that picture, like because a lot of yeah. people have never experienced this. There, there's a loudspeaker that yeah. blares the call yeah. to prayer yes. uh, yeah. that's very, very loud yeah. five times a yeah. day and yeah. you're, you live within earshot of that. Yeah. You hear that five times a day. So you hear it at, um, you know, right before dawn, you hear it uh, in you know, mid morning to, to lunch, hear it another couple times in the afternoon and again at night yeah. um, of just this, uh, this guy saying through a loud singing through a loudspeaker, there's no God but God, Muhammad is his prophet, yeah. over and over and over, calling people to the mosque to come and pray. Yeah. Um all of all of the the language is wrapped up. It, the language is is considered Arabic, is considered to have its purest form in the Quran. So language is constantly being driven back to the Quran and derived from the Quran. So maybe it's like, maybe like think about Puritan America in the, would this be the 18th century? Mm -hmm. You've got the King James Bible. And imagine if you were in one of those villages up in Northeast America and the talk that would be happening within a Puritan village where people are so steeped in the Bible you're gonna. There's gonna be cultural allusion, or there's gonna be allusions to biblical passages all the time. All of the the expressions that you use are gonna have some connection to the Bible, and you're gonna be talking in King James English in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a lot of what we deal with here. Is that there's so many expressions and shared understanding that all come from the Quran and from the um, the, the interpretations of the Quran uh, that is really hard to for us as foreigners who didn't grow up in that to wrap our minds around and, yeah. and see into. Yeah. So you're painting a picture that there's really no separation between church and state. 
no, and that for an for an American, that's really hard to like until I came there and visited you. <clears throat> that was really hard for me to conceptualize. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there other ways you could paint that picture of just how? How the you know no separation of church and state to be a citizen of this country in North Africa is to be Muslim. Yeah, well, and, there's no category, there's no official category for a Christian. So for someone to just declare I am Christian, that means nothing. It's, right. It's it, like that's it, not even possible. It's it's not well. Yeah, it's possible in the sense of we believe that it's, you know the Holy Spirit can regenerate somebody and they can become a Christian. But as far as recognition by the government, no, it's not possible. Right. For, and so every um, funeral that you have, every uh, wedding that you have, any of the the important moments of life have to be done in an Islamic way for them to be recognized by the state. So if you want to be married, you have to have an an, um, an imam perform the wedding and you have to repeat after him there is no god but god and muhammad is his is his prophet right right so for two christians to get married they either have to go into that and pay off the imam so that they don't have to say that or they go in and say it when they don't believe it or they live without being recognized by the government as being married in which case they'd be thrown in jail because adultery is uh, is illegal. So it's rough. It is rough for people to convert just, just on the government side. Yeah. On the society side, it's, it's, it's much, much worse. Yeah. So, I mean, that you already raised the issue. That's the next logical question is like for your work that you're trying to do, like an American mindset is just, yeah, people want to become a Christian. They just become a Christian. Like, and of course we would say there's more going on there theologically in God's work and the Holy power of the Holy spirit, drawing people to himself. But from a a human responsibility side, like we don't think twice about someone converting. Um, I'm, I'm saying this very crassly. We should obviously always acknowledge that. Yes, it is a miracle of God that anybody gets converted. Yeah. But again, from our, from a earthly perspective, um, we kind of just take that for granted where the stakes are so much higher in terms of the price that you pay yeah. um, where you're at, right? Brother, I, I, I have over the last six months, I think, just seen another level of the oppression that comes to people who have decided to follow Jesus. And it is... It is just, it's crushing. Can you paint that picture? It's so crushing. Um, the, uh, one of the ladies in our church, um, Alice, her brother has, you know, over the years, she's been a Christian for probably five years, and over the years, her mom and dad are dead, and so it's, left to the brother to take care of this girl, Alice. And that's just tradition in where you... Tradition, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alice got her degree um, in in Arabic so that she could teach Arabic, okay? Okay. She's she's really good in, in, in Arabic. Well, 
when we first met her, she was telling us that she's she was suffering from depression and from other mental illnesses. And each time that she, and she can't work as an Arabic teacher because every time she starts a year, a school year, I have through the year, she just has these crises of depression or of something else and she doesn't finish the year. And therefore, because of that, because she doesn't finish those years, she has to move back in with her brother. Okay. And, and she can't support herself. Gotcha. <clears throat> well, for the longest time, I was just thinking, what is going on with her? Like she's living under her brother's roof. Her brother is like constantly oppressing her, finding stuff in her room about Christianity, like stuff that she put on her phone and, and making her like in front of him, put on Muslim garb and pray in front of her, in front of him to prove that she's not a Christian, but she is a Muslim. She's convinced he would kill her if she, if she ever said anything about being a uh, Christian, but she lives through all of this and is by God's grace, dude, she's growing and she's like loving her brother's wife and her, her brother's wife who is being beaten by her brother is saying stuff like, I hate your brother. Da, da, da. And she's like, um, and Alice is just trying to, trying to love her. I mean, just showing so much love when her brother and her brother's wife have shown so much bad stuff towards her. So moving forward a little bit, the oppression. I just realized this year, the reason that she, and this is the first time she expressed it to me, the reason that she kept having such a hard time in teaching Arabic and finishing the year out is because she felt such a conflict of, if you teach Arabic, you have to teach the Quran. And right. so she was teaching these people stuff that she knew to be lies because she's now a Christian. Right. And so for her to be independent at all, as a single woman in this culture, she either needs to, well, this isn't, for, for her to get out from underneath her brother's care, she either needs her own job where she can completely take care of herself or she needs to be married. And if there's no other Christian men who will marry her, and if her only training has been in teaching Arabic, then like her options are so limited to get out from underneath this guy who's oppressing her and threatening to kill her if she turns away from Islam, right? Um, it's so hard. She has, she has like gone through the ringer so many times, um, because she can't get out from underneath her brother and live an independent life. Um, and just recently she found out that her brother had been going to all the extended family and telling all the extended family, Alice has become a Christian. Um, and she's always hanging out with these Christians and these foreigners. Have you ever met him? I have. Yeah. Um, he came over to our house one time and, uh, we interacted some over telephone and he was sending me stuff, trying to convert me to Islam. But she, she then found out just in the last few weeks, she found out that her brother was saying this to all of her extended family. And she has been hurt so many times over the past few years because her extended family has, has been shunning her and she had no idea why. She had no idea why she hadn't been invited to any of the weddings or any of the births or any of these other things. And whenever she did show up, you know, they would be like shunning her, but it turns out it's because her brother's been telling everybody that she's a Christian. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's so hard for, especially for single ladies. And yeah. we have a number of them in our lives right now that are claiming Christ, 
um, but are just at a complete wit's end of how, what do we do? So how are you attempting to disciple them? What are your words of encouragement from, from the word? One of the foundational things that we try and do is, is just reinforce this idea that you are made in the image of God and you have value because you are made in the image of God. And that's a foreign concept in Islam. And what a, what an inheritance we have in America that that is kind of baked into the culture. I know it's being rejected in some parts, but in general, there's this idea all men are created equal and are made in the image of God. There's some of that baked in. There's that's not baked in here. It's just not. And so women are just this lower class of people and they are treated so poorly. So trying to affirm that over and over and over again, you are made in the image of God. You have equal value. So are you saying that part of this is because she's a woman? If if, if this was a a man who was, you know, a, a brother found another brother's, you know, Christian paraphernalia in his bedroom, it wouldn't be the same dynamic. It, no, it's still, there would be this threat of murder, though, honestly, that doesn't happen here much. These honor, honor killings that you hear about that happen in Central Asia, Afghanistan, Iran, stuff like that, that I'm sure it has happened here. Um, I think it's much more just complete ostracism from yeah. the family. And uh, for example, the other guy, uh, a believer here, his family just tells him to his face, you are dead to us. Don't talk to us. You are dead to me. He's taken his daughter to his sister's door, rang on the doorbell, and through the intercom, she's like, who is it? He's like, it's Kevin. And she's like, who's Kevin? I don't know a Kevin. Like her, his own sister. And wow. the family just treats him as if he's dead. Wow. Um, no interactions with him at all. They won't, won't say hi to him, nothing. But... But for the for Alice, there are some unique dynamics because yes. of a culture that doesn't value women the same way they value yes, men. Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The man can still go out on his own. He can go out and find a job and whatever. Um, women to find jobs to be rented a place as a single woman. It, that's though it's maybe becoming a little bit more accepted. In general, be like, why in the world are you renting a house or an apartment on your own? You're a single woman. You should be married or you should be living with your family. Yeah. So that uh, is very, very rare for a, a single woman to live by herself would be super right. bizarre. Right. 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 Yeah, right. That's another cultural thing that we just don't understand, but it's helpful right. for us to understand your context. Yeah. 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 That's right. Wow. So she just sticks out like a sore thumb, yeah. you know, because of her faith in that way. Yeah. Yeah, she does. And but I'll tell you what, man, the, the spirit of God has done such a work in her of how many, I mean, how many times in the last four years she said, so-and-so has done X to me and I don't know if I can ever forgive him. Mm-hmm. And being able to forgive and to really be able to forgive people and cover it, she's been able to do that to, to tell members of her family um, I love you in, and to not just tell them, but actually show them how much she loves them by serving them, by loving them, just 
following Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount of right. um, of being good to your enemies and those who are horrible to you, repaying that with love. She has done right. it by God's right. grace, and it's been right. it's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, Cody, as we're talking, I feel like what I'm thinking of is. It sounds like when I read the Bible, what she's experiencing is pretty normal Christianity. Yeah. What we experience is probably just abnormal in terms of the history of Christianity for the past 2000 years. You know, if you think about a book like first Peter or the testimonies of what happened in the book of acts, um, like being ostracized, Mm -hmm. being persecuted, like, it seems like that's pretty normal biblically. And, and so you've got a lot of things that you can share with her. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's more bizarre that like, uh, and I don't think we should feel guilty about this necessarily, but it's more bizarre that you would read those persecution, persecution passages and just kind of be like, uh, I don't, I don't really relate to that. Um, I'll tell you what's difficult in that though is, we come over here and we've got the blue passports and we're treated like, I mean, in some, some senses we're not treated well, but in, in most senses, if we get into trouble, they just kick us out. I mean, right. that's, that's basically what we're facing. You're just going home. Yeah. And we've got support of loving families and churches like you guys. Right. Um, they see Christianity because America is such a powerhouse. They see Christianity and they see us and then they're living lives differently. They're, they're not experiencing the same thing as we are. Right. It's difficult. Like, yes, the, the answer is let's be steeped in what the word says and what the experience of the first Christians were. And that's what we often do. We just point back and say, guys, this is normal for Christians. Mr. G, are you saying that, um, they look at you because you have uh, an American passport and are like, yeah, like we're called to suffer and this is who we are because we're citizens of this country. You're a Christian too, and you're called to suffer, but you don't suffer the same way I do. So can you really understand it or something? Is that kind of the dynamic? (laughs) They would never say that. Right. Uh, But I tell you what, I feel it. I feel that I'm not having monetary struggles because I'm a Christian. Yeah. I'm not having um, crazy religious persecution because I'm a Christian. I'm expected. I mean, the, the name that they give to any foreigner here is Nasrani, Nazarene. Uh, like they expect Christians to be, or they expect foreigners to be Christians. So for me, white to be, people. yeah, for white people to be Christians is not outside their box. That's, yeah. For, is, yeah, it's not outside the box. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it, it just, it's, it's difficult to minister in this, in this situation, in this way, in, in this context, but I mean, it's part of the job and, and we're, we're trying to be empathetic, sympathetic, uh, but it's, it's difficult that they, that they deal with so much more persecution than we've ever experienced. Yeah. But here's the thing that I am so encouraged about is biblically speaking, that's where the church is supposed to come in. And so the fact that you guys exist to, to see churches planted in that part of the world, um, is the solution. 
Now, it doesn't happen overnight, as we know, right? But I mean, I'm preaching through Philippians right now, and it's like they're in a context of persecution. Paul's Uh sitting in prison, and over and over and over again, the assumption is you guys in the Philippian church have to stay united because we're in the context of extreme pressure. And if you don't stay united, it's, it's not going to go well. And, and that's what, what you're describing is I've lost one family, but I'm going to gain another family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my local church. <laughs> and, and, and granted, you know, you guys aren't, you've only been doing this a few years. And so it's not like there's a huge family to draw upon, yeah. but that's the direction we're headed, right? Yes, yes, 100%. I mean, that's another part of asking how do we address these ills that women face and that Alice faces is we we want the church to be the family that she doesn't have, right? Right. It's It was just this year, a few months ago, that the local believers covenanted together to be a church, meaning they looked at each other in the eye and they said, I commit to be the body to you. I commit to be the body to you. I commit to be the body to you. If And, and we have a, um, we can call it a statement of faith and a covenant fellowship. Statement of faith, set of beliefs that we all believe in. We're going to agree that we believe this is what the Bible teaches. One page, small thing. Uh, and a one page, these are the things that we're going to be to each other. And basically to get them to agree to, we are we are going to be a family to one another, right? Yeah. So that happens in January. Fast forward two months later, we're um, in church together and um, sharing prayer requests. Alice shares a prayer request. Kevin hears it and decides to just say something stupid. And he says something really stupid. And it hurts Alice's feelings. Yeah. To where Alice is like, I don't, I don't even know if I want to come here anymore, be yeah. a part of this anymore. Right. Um, that was hard. That was really, really hard. Yep. But thankfully, they had just agreed that they were going to be all these things to each other and that they right. were going to reconcile with one another when somebody says something stupid. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, so there started becoming meetings of Alice and Kevin meeting together and trying to hear from one another about how they felt and for them to apologize to one another. Yeah. So going back to your original question, what is it like here? Friend, I don't think that they, I don't, in this culture, people do not admit that they're wrong or that they've had bad intentions. That is not existent. It's, it's taught in Islam, it, from what I can gather, it is taught that there are no such thing things as bad motives. There's just mistakes. So I accidentally did something. There's never this idea of I did something with a bad motive. Right. And so just for anyone to admit that they have sinned at all is such like a milestone. And you have two people who are not of the same family and who have only just had this a few months ago, a commitment to one another to, for the first times in their lives, had to say, 
I said this and it hurts you and I shouldn't have said this. Will you please forgive me? You would not believe what maybe you may believe. I, I said hours and hours and hours just trying to get to that point. Yeah. And then finally, when we finally get to the point of confession and asking for forgiveness, it was like, thank you, God. It was like dealing with my nine and 11 year old. Uh, but you've got 40, 50 years behind them of this background that's telling them, you know, you don't have wrong intentions. You don't need right. to apologize for things. You can just ask people to um, excuse your behavior uh, and not really asking for forgiveness. So, yeah, right. Mr. G, that is awesome. And I, um, I'm just so encouraged to hear that because it's like that's true evidence, even though it's hard and it um, doesn't happen overnight, but it's evidence of the spirit yes. working in this local church yes. Yes. that is so countercultural to the surrounding environment. Yes. Um, and that's, that's evidence of true heart change that can only be brought about by the, by the Holy spirit, you know, that I, I'm not going to continue to live in this way that is anti biblical. I'm, I'm going to pursue what God says because I believe it by faith. Um, I mean, it, yeah, I I just love how you painted that picture for for our people to see um, that what's happening there's really significant, you know, in the lives of these people. Like to jump those cultural hurdles is is no small thing. Yeah, 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 and we yeah, man, we we pray about it a lot, and we I'm so thankful for the body here to for us to encourage one another in it because like as you're saying at the beginning patience and perseverance um man we need the body so much in so many different ways like i need the body to help me persevere in my relationship with kevin yeah because i don't understand him so much of the time because we're from i mean we're just from different planets <laughs> different planets yeah and I need my brothers to say, you can do it. You can do it. God is empowering you by his grace. Yep. Stay in the word, memorize the word and pray and pray and pray. And I need to do that for them. And hopefully we're getting to a place where we're doing that locals and foreigners, where we yep. are building one another up. They for us, us for them, um, despite our, our being from different planets. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, Man, let me let me ask you this as, as we close here, bud. Um, wh what else have you learned about perseverance over the years? Because I, I look at what you've done and it's it's, you know, eight years is a long time. And I, I because I know you, there's been lots of up and downs, ups and downs. Um, what, what, what can you as you reflect on perseverance? What would you say about it? Um, I think I would say that uh, 
a few things come to mind. Thinking about an abundance of counselors and thinking about friends who are closer than brothers. Uh, think about Lord of the Rings and <laughs> Sam and Frodo. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is so important to have the godly people in your life. Yep. Uh, that know you and that uh, you know them. Uh, it's so important. It's so important. And so to have my my brothers here, my spiritual brothers here, who know me and I know them, brothers and sisters, be in each other's lives, care about each other, and encourage one another is so important to perseverance. Like, I can't imagine living here, just our family. I mean, the Lord may have given grace to to give us that same amount of time but i just can't uh, i can't imagine it. that and then also just having outside voices too like like yours and like other fellowships that we know trusted counselors that that we're having speak into our lives and say you know you know just speak wisdom whenever we need it and we need it often we need it regularly yeah yeah, it speaks to the again the necessity of the local church, and yeah. Yeah. and and man, we've already underscored that a lot for why what you're doing is really important, where yeah. you're doing it, but just for all of us to keep going. And the Bible assumes that over and over and over again, like the yeah. one another's of the New Testament, yeah. um, we're gonna flow through the local church, and uh, that's just assumed. Yeah. And in some ways, I, I've, I've experienced the exact same thing as what you've just articulated, the, the power of healthy relationships that are God-centered for the continuation of, of my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like, I just think of your experience connects with what the Bible says in a, more, in a, in a way that's uh, in some ways more rich than, and again, I, people can feel guilty when I say this. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty or myself feel guilty, but like when you're not under persecution and your needs are, are mainly met for most people, um, you know, it's like, what do I need the church for? Like if the church doesn't have a good product, well then I'll just go find another church as opposed to like, no, this is my family. And kind of like my faith is on the line. If I don't have them, um, yeah, just this conversation with you is stirring up some of those thoughts for me and how we can um, not feel guilty as Christians here, but how can we grow? You know? Dude. Um, Yeah. I, I think about the church in the States and yeah, a lot of the material need needs are met by most people in the churches that I've been a part of, but the, the thing the church gives is it gives a, a place where you can rub up against people. You can rub shoulders with people and have conflict with people. And it is a place where conflict can be resolved and we grow in holiness, right? That's, that's for me, the thing that, that is so great about the church is that all of these one another's of the New Testament are assuming that you are in relationships at, at such a level 
that there's going to be conflict and I have to bear your burden. I have to forgive you. I have to um, encourage you. Like yeah. there's, we need to learn to be in such depth of relationship that we see each other's crap and we deal with one another and learn to help each other grow in sanctification. I mean, sanctification without being in a close local church, there's, there's a lot of people in our, in our country, a lot of believers who are like, I don't want anything to do with a local church. A lot of local believers who become Christians through online means yeah. hear about people meeting together. They're like, I know what people from my country are like. I don't want to be in some group with them. And right. they're right. just missing out on so much sanctification and joy. Heartache, yes. Heartache, yeah. yes. But it's like, the joy that comes after the heartache is is amazing, and the sanctification that comes is just great. So, yeah. yeah, man, that's so good. Well, Mr. G, it uh, has been such a joy to to hear from you across the other side of the world, and um, so thankful for what you are doing there with your family and the team that you lead and these testimonies that um, have been so encouraging to us. And so, um, man, may it continue. And uh, we look forward to the next time having you on. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm really thankful to be here. All right, brother. We'll be in touch.